Hello, everybody. This is Sensei Anthony Thomas coming to you on a sunny Friday, July 7th in the Bay. I wanted to talk to you about style. There's a lot of debate and discussion and discourse about styles and different types of styles. And I may go into that on a different podcast, but not today. The one thing I will never do, however, is get into which style is best. I think that's a foolish argument. And despite MMA competition claim to be otherwise, there's no such thing as a best style. There's no styles that are better than others. There's a lot of things to consider. So I won't even get into that right now. But I'll never get into the style is best argument. What I want to talk about really is in terms of unarmed martial arts skills, how many different styles are there? Now, before you start running through your head, karate, kempo, kung fu, judo, kodesh, sambo, jiu-jitsu, aikido, all this stuff, I submit that there's only two kinds of styles. There are styles in which you strike your opponent, whether it be with the head, the fist, the forearm, the elbow, the knees, the shins, the feet, and there are arts where you seize your opponent, which is to make close contact with their body using your own. And that may sound a bit reductionist to some, but I submit that all of the ways to strike a human with your own body have already been discovered and popularized and accepted. All of the ways that you can bend a body against itself or make contact with the body, they've already been discovered. So all of these different aspects that people like to include, which is usually style, name, and lineage and all this kind of stuff, none of those things deviate from the two concepts that I just talked about. If you're talking about karate styles, you're talking about percussive striking. If you're talking about boxing as a sport style, you're talking about striking with the fist. If you're talking about Muay Thai, you're talking about the eight popular striking surfaces that they use. But it doesn't deviate from the fact that they're striking. On the other side of that coin, there's Koresh, there is Sambo, there is Jiu Jitsu, there's Aikido, there's wrestling. All of these styles all include making close contact with another human body and bending it back upon itself or making close, close, close combat with the body for a number of reasons, whether it be to immobilize or render unconscious. All of these grappling styles are predicated on the idea of seizing the opponent. Maybe people don't like to think of it that simply because they think that it downplays or makes less of the style that they practice, but it doesn't. It's keeping things simple and it's keeping things basic. My father used to say there's only two kinds of arts, the striking arts and the seizing arts. And everything else is cultural prejudice, and geography. No one in the world is going to agree that another nation's style 
or a way of doing things is better than their own. That would be cultural prejudice. And geography, affecting why the style is practiced that way. In karate, you had deep stances because people were barefoot and they practiced on rocking boats. Makes sense. They didn't have shod, <laughs> they didn't have shod feet. They didn't have asphalt. Makes a ton of sense. In silat and similar styles, they crouch low to the ground because they're not wearing Nikes. The ground is muddy. It makes perfect sense for them to use geography to influence the way they practice martial arts. There's an expression in China, northern kicks southern fists. This is predicated upon the geography of China. Easier to punch in the hills, easier to kick on flat ground. So let's not get caught up on this style thing. And just let me know what you think out there. I'd love to hear your opinion. You guys have a great day and a great weekend. Hey everybody, this is Sensei Anthony Thomas coming at you again, letting you know that coming up very soon, I'll be introducing a series that I call Challenging the Masters. Now, I'm a dyed-in-the-wool martial arts purist, at least I believe I am, and I really prefer to spend most of my time focusing on the traditional martial arts more so than MMA. I'll talk about that also, but this next series called Challenging the Masters is going to be all about the things that we've traditionally done in the martial arts world, in the traditional martial arts world. Are those things still relevant? Are they still practical? Or are there any portions of these practices that we need to change or adapt or update to address today's reality? I know a lot of people don't like to do that because the way they do things is the way their sensei, sifu, teacher, guru, that's the way they've always done it. So that's the only way it can be done. Not true, my friends. The martial artists of the time were using the most contemporary methods available to them at the time. So to say that the way that we do it is the only way it's been done? No. The way that we do it is largely a mirror to what the contemporary methods required. So keep your eyes peeled, keep your ears open, because I'm going to have about eight different topics under the Challenging the Masters banner. Stay tuned. Love you all. And share this with your friends because we're going to get deep, folks. Have a good one. Hey, everybody. This is Anthony coming to you late this evening, 10 p.m. on a Philosophical Friday. And I just wanted to throw this little bit of wisdom at you. It's from an old proverb where a martial arts teacher and a student were walking along a path. And the martial arts teacher was extolling the virtue of peace. The student said, Sensei, we always speak of peace, but we train to fight. How can those two things exist together? And the Sensei says, it is better to be a warrior in the garden than a gardener in a war. As martial artists, peace is always our preferred state of being, but in the situations that require violence, we're prepared for that as well. So again, better to be a warrior in the garden than a gardener in a war. You guys have a nice evening, be safe, and have a great weekend. Hey everybody, this is Sensei Anthony Thomas tackling one of the most consistent and persistent of all martial arts traditions, and that's wearing a gi. For those of you who don't know, the gi is that heavy cotton uniform that you've probably seen in the movies that you tie your belt around. If I was a betting man, 
I say that if you have started martial arts, right about the time you decided to enroll, you ask yourself if you had to buy your own gi or if they were included in the enrollment. But now that I've rattled your mental Rolodex a little bit, do me a favor. Ask yourself, why the heck do we wear those things anyway? Let's see, did your teacher say something like, that's the way the ancient masters always practiced? Sound familiar? Let's take a look. Now, as someone who's thought long and hard about this, you probably haven't thought a whole lot about it in the same way. What I'm saying is, this is basically just a heavier cotton version of the kimono. Kimonos were the Japanese traditional garb at the time. They were lightweight, fragile, and they'd fall apart every single practice if you tried to work out in one. So, martial artists basically created the gi out of a heavy version of what they already wore. Voila! The gi is born. Now, for the really smart ones out there, I'm pretty sure you've thought about the other main reason for using the gi, and that reason is uniformity. Doesn't matter if you're a CEO, housewife, or a shameless slacker like me, in a gi, we're all equals. So when you look at your gi, don't think about how it makes your butt look or how cool it makes you look. Think of it like a worker's uniform, a tool, like a wetsuit or scuba gear. Just a tool, nothing special, nothing great. Check me out on martialartsoakland.com. You can check me out on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And you folks have a fantastic day. Bye. Hey everybody, this is Sensei Anthony Thomas coming to you with another version of the Kempo Chronicles. Take a deep breath. Not because I'm a rocket world so much, but you know, you just should. So today we're going to talk about why we use makiwaras. And for those of you going, maki what? Basically, a makiwara is a flat piece of wood with rope tied all the way around the top foot or so. And then you stick this post into the ground and punch away. Kind of like the medieval version of a heavy bag. Now, before you start blasting that tradition, or before I start, let me say that once these things were very useful, once upon a time. See, karate was practiced and developed by Okinawan peasants as defense against armed and armored samurai. So, the idea was condition their fists so they could punch hard enough to damage someone who was wearing armor. The concept of Iken Itsatsu one punch, one kill. That was more mindset than actual reality, but you get the idea, right? It may be the only punch you get in, so make it count. So this is where the makiwara were great. People would develop these huge calluses on their knuckles, and in their mind, they'd be able to punch through the armor of a samurai. So, you know, they toughened up their hands to do this. And believe me, they could do a lot of damage in one punch. If you don't believe me, feel free to look up Japan's greatest karateka, a man named Mas Oyama. He founded a whole style of karate based on the idea of this kind of hardcore training. But I digress. Makiwara were once very useful, but in those days they also lacked what I call, I don't know, a heavy bag. And I don't think that martial artists necessarily punch any softer for lack of a makiwara. I don't think Mike Tyson's ever punched one, but you sure as heck wouldn't let him punch you. So keep that in mind. It's one of those kind of things that we did before, but don't need to do any more. Have a great day. Hey, everybody. This is Sensei Anthony Thomas coming one more time at you. And I just wanted to cover this really quickly. I don't usually like to talk about a ton of things outside of the martial arts world. And especially in the mixed martial arts world, just because 
I think we need to focus more on traditional martial arts. But people keep asking me what I think about the boxing match, the boxing match against Conor McGregor that Floyd Mayweather is currently promoting. Now, I'm going to say something, and you can agree or disagree. Boxing and boxing and mixed martial arts are very different animals. Boxing in its pure sport of form is a lot more refined, and the combatants are a lot more skilled in boxing because, guess what, folks? They spend all of their time boxing. In the mixed martial arts world, they spend their time divided among several different types of art form. Great. That's the term mixed martial arts. But don't make a mistake about this. I am not a fan of Floyd Mayweather as a person. But that does not mean that I cannot respect the fact that this man is arguably the greatest defensive boxer of all time. And certainly on anybody who knows boxing on their top 10 list. I'd say probably top 7. Conor McGregor is the newest sensation in the mixed martial arts world. I respect his skills as a martial artist. I respect the fact that he has backed up his talk. But in no way, shape, or form do I believe that he has a chance of hurting, much less knocking out Floyd Mayweather. I don't think people realize the difference in skill amongst true professional boxers and people that are considered good boxers for mixed martial arts. I certainly think that people do not understand the difference in skill level between a good pro boxer and the elite level boxers. Let me make it plain, folks. Marcus Davis, Chris Lytle, a couple other guys in the mixed martial arts world also have some pro boxing experience. And they were considered great boxers for mixed martial arts. They were not even journeymen in the plain boxing world. You know how I know? Because if they were, they would have stayed boxing. Elite level boxers make a zillion times more money than elite level mixed martial artists. Let me make it plainer. Boxers we have never heard of make way more money than elite level mixed martial artists. Boxing is older, it's got better sponsors, it's got richer tradition. That is what it is. That being said, the fact that Conor McGregor is taller and younger than Floyd means nothing. In the realm of infinity, anything in theory can happen when two people are throwing punches at each other's face. In boxing, world champion level boxers, Canelo, Pacquiao, Hatton, my gosh, Cotto, go down the list of people at the elite level of boxing that have not been able to lay a glove on Floyd Mayweather. You think that someone with no pro boxing experience who's dividing his time between boxing, kickboxing, capoeira, wrestling, jiu-jitsu, you think that he has a legitimate shot at harming the greatest boxer of our generation? Come on, folks. 
Don't let the hype fool you. This match will last as long as Floyd Mayweather wants it to. He's going to promote it. He's going to make people think Conor has a chance because that's how he makes more money. My prediction, bold, hard, firm, is that it will be an absolute embarrassment to Conor McGregor. He's going to get beat up and embarrassed for as long as Floyd Mayweather wants to beat up and embarrass him. Do you agree or disagree? You can either answer me here or you can check me out on martialartsoakland.com and <laughs> agree or disagree with me there. You guys have a good evening. Hello everybody, this is Sensei Anthony Thomas coming to you on July 5th. I just wanted to share something with you. Recently, when I was on Quora, somebody asked me if they could create their own style of martial art. And I said, sure you can. I mean, the fact of the matter is, for every single art that we practice, somebody had to create it, right? Now, to me, it's never a question of creating an art. The question is, can you build legitimacy for that art? Now, there are some legitimate founders out there that are practically universally recognized. Kano as the founder of Judo, Mas Oyama as the founder of Kyokushin Karate. I personally do not credit the Gracie family for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu because in my opinion, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is nothing but old school Judo, which was in fact founded by Kano. So that's just my feeling and I don't get into that Gracie worship. That's just a me thing. Now, if one is going to found their own system, you have to ask yourself, what are the tenets of my system? What's new about the way that I do things in a way that people will recognize? Is it the kata? Is it the weapons? Is it the way you strike? Is it the weapons you use for striking? Now, in my opinion, there's only so many ways you can kick, punch, headbutt, elbow, knee, stab, poke, whatever, contort the human body and then I think they've already been discovered. So if you're going to create your own style, you have to be able to show legitimate differences or legitimate improvements that make it your own. You can't just throw together a couple things and say, oh, I've created my own style. You know, in the world of mixed martial arts early days, there were a lot of people that studied in more than one style and said they created their own and it was ridiculous I can think of this guy named Joe Sun who studied karate and judo and started calling what he did Joe Sun Do I mean it was ridiculous the dude got clobbered and as it turns out he was a felon and I'm glad he got beat up the way he did not important in the early days of ultimate fighting in this country there was trap fighting and pit fighting. There was 3D fighting and all of this kind of stuff for people trying to capitalize on the recent upsweep and style mixing. It's nothing new. Most Kung Fu styles as we know them have elements of northern and southern fighting systems. Most types of grappling are mixed. So the idea of mixing arts is nothing new. There was a gentleman in Europe in the 1800s doing something called Bartitsu, which was his mix of... Uh, I believe boxing, savat, and something else. So none of this stuff is new. But in the get quick, or excuse me, in the get famous quickly era of YouTube and Facebook and dare I say anchor, <laughs> everybody wants to say they can create their own thing 
and try to sound like they're special. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be special, but I think people are really getting carried away with the idea of creating, creating their own. And I personally don't have a problem with anyone who wants to create something new. But if you are truly creating something new, you should have a new philosophy. You should have forms. You should have weapons. You should have something that people can look at and identify as something significantly different than what already exists in the world. And I just don't see that happening very often. And I certainly haven't seen it anytime recently. So my question is to you, what do you think about creating your own style? Is it something you could do? Is it something you even want to do? Me personally, I am a Kempo Karate stylist to the heart. And I've learned some other styles, but in my heart. And if you ask me what I do, I will say I am a Kempo Karateka who practices my family's art. And I learned some other stuff also. I'm not big on ego. I'm not big on titles. Anyhow, feel free to chime in. You can hit me up on martialartsoakland.com. You can check me out here. And I'd love to hear from you. So you guys have yourself a fantastic day. And keep training. Hello everybody. This is Sensei Anthony Thomas. And I wanted to speak to you in depth more about the concept of mastership and grandmastership in the martial arts. Now, we've all heard in the old movies about, this is the master of this style. He's mastered snake kung fu, tiger style. You killed my master. Only a true master can use these techniques. All of this stuff. But what does master really mean, or grandmaster really mean in American martial arts? To me, grandmaster should be synonymous with founder, one who creates a style, one who is universally acknowledged for creating a style. Case in point, Kano Jigoro is the universally accepted founder of Judo. He studied several jujitsu systems. He created a philosophy and a training method that almost became something entirely different from the arts that he learned from. He is universally recognized as the founder of Judo. Mas Oyama studied two different forms of martial arts in his youth, and he created a mindset, a philosophy, a training method that became known as Kyokushin Karate. He is the universally recognized founder of Kyokushin. A lot of people can say that about, or feel they can say that about Elio and Carlos Gracie. I personally do not because what we know as Gracie Jiu-Jitsu or Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu these days is nothing but old school Judo before the sportive aspects were introduced to make it more popular for spectators. I, in good faith, cannot recognize them as grandmasters. But in American martial arts, what does grandmastership or mastership really mean? I'd like to be able to say, oh, he calls himself a master. It means he's mastered a certain skill. Since the martial arts is a revolving process, an evolving process, I'm not even sure that that particular concept applies. When I hear grandmaster, I think founder of an art. I think either the person who is universally accepted for creating that art or the oldest son 
who took over the mantle when the Grand Master died. In the United States, who can we really say that about? Or even in the world these days, who can we really say has revolutionized a philosophy, training method, a technique that would make it reasonable or likely or even palatable to call them a grand master. Can you think of anyone? I personally can't right now. I hear guys like uh, Master Lloyd Irvin. Lloyd Irvin, in my opinion, is an excellent martial artist and through his efforts and the efforts of his students has proven that he is a skilled competitor, a skilled martial artist, and a skilled teacher. That's great. But that does not make him a master, in my opinion. There's a man in the martial arts world named Grandmaster Greg Moody. Now, he is a skilled martial artist from the old days, the older days, rather. And I will give him credit for being tough and durable and skilled, but that does not make him a grand master. I've been doing martial arts since 1979, and I don't feel comfortable calling myself anything other than sensei. I think that these titles are for greed, and I think they're for marketing. Some people who are new to martial arts are impressed by titles in the same way that some people are impressed by doctor, lawyer, that kind of thing. But the martial arts is a cyclical revolution and there is no master or completion in your training, in your thinking, or in your mindset. So for me, we need to stop with all of this master grandmaster foolishness and just focus on the training. Check me out on martialartsoakland.com. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me here. You guys have a fantastic day and keep training. Goodbye. Hey everybody, this is Sensei Anthony Thomas and I wanted to talk to you today because, well, this is July the 8th and I wanted to talk to you today because I heard someone talking about the martial arts to a friend and they were saying that the martial arts are not about fighting. Now, for me, that sentence uh, just gets me on the inside because that is exactly what the martial arts are about. When I say fighting, I don't mean picking fights, I don't mean sport fighting, I don't mean competition. I'm talking about defending yourself, defending your principles, defending your loved ones, fighting. Now, the root of the word itself is martial. It literally translates as the war arts. And when I hear people say that the martial arts are not about fighting, I feel like they're trying to take the core or the essence of martial arts away. Now, before you jump all on me about what about discipline and loyalty and honor and respect? Absolutely. The martial arts absolutely can instill those qualities. And that's the beauty of martial arts. And that's why you can always practice the martial arts at any point in your life, young or old. I have no problem with that. But the problem is that people seem to be trying to remove the silver lining, that golden undercurrent that makes the martial arts what they are. Because when people say that the martial arts are not about fighting, 
They say it builds character, it builds respect, it builds discipline. Correct. But without training how to fight, without training how to defend yourself, how exactly are you instilling those principles? Now, I started as a young boy. I was short and I was skinny. But the reason that I could look a larger person in the eye, the reason I felt comfortable doing that is because I knew that if the situation moved beyond words, that I'd be able to handle myself. I think a lot of people in life back down in situations, verbal situations, because they know that if things were to escalate beyond verbs and verbiage, there's nothing they could do to protect themselves at that point. So I think that trying to remove that element of fighting and discipline robs you of the ability to feel confident in situations like that. And as an adult, I'm talking about not just defending yourself, your principles. I'm talking about being able to walk into your boss's office confidently and ask for a raise. I'm talking about being able to give a speech in front of a large group of people without feeling uncomfortable, which, by the way, public speaking is the number one phobia, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, the point is, it is the rigors of martial arts training that allows you to die and be reborn. Of course, I'm not talking about physical death. Let's not get carried away. But every day that you want to quit, every time that you are fresh out of punches, kicks, sweeps, throws, chokes, headlocks, whatever it is that you think that you're too exhausted to do, every time you do that additional repetition, you are being reborn because you've pushed yourself beyond what you thought were your limits. And that kind of stuff only comes through the rigors of martial arts training, the rigors of self-defense training. And so when people start saying that they can remove that element, they're removing the entire purpose of the martial arts. It's kind of like saying that you want to strengthen your index finger so you buy a gun. You certainly can strengthen your index finger that way, but that's not what a gun is for. And I know that example is a bit extreme, but we need to be really focused and honest about the fact that the martial arts are about fighting, not picking fights, not fighting for ego, but it is about self-defense training and all of those other benefits that we talked about are a byproduct of the self-defense training. You cannot remove the self-defense training from the martial arts. Otherwise, you might as well be doing yoga or ballet or any other kind of exercise that makes you feel good. Do you agree or disagree? I'd love to hear it either way. Also, please check me out on martialartsopen.com, and you guys have a fantastic day.